Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. No, the Detroit Red Wings will not and should not trade for Seth Jones. Ryan, now you may do the intro. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. We'll be back with you on Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> I saw Fridge uh, talk about that, and I was like, "Oh yeah, we'll have to clear this through that one pretty quickly." Yep, yeah, we're we're not waiting. We're getting out of the way, and I'm not saying Seth Jones is an elite player. I'm not saying Seth Jones is a bad player. I'm saying a team in the position of the Detroit Red Wings should never, ever, ever, ever trade for a pending UFA. Welcome to this week's uh, weekend's. I, w- I always say this week's episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. We do go twice a week, so I don't know why I say it. And I think I do say it on Sundays and Wednesdays, too. I used to also say, um, like, I used to just kind of blank. And before every interview, I used to say, welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast exclusive interview with so-and-so. And I think it was Chad messaged me once. He goes, you say exclusive, but it's not. Like, this person appears elsewhere. I'm like, yeah, they do. Why do I say exclusive? Anyways. and I And I always love it, too, because... You intro the interview as we start the interview, but then you also inter- intro to the interview where we splice it in in the episode. So we basically intro it sometimes three times because we even mention it at the beginning of the episode sometimes. So <laughs> always, always uh, filling space where we can. Are we keeping the the uh, listeners informed or trying to keep Evan informed? You decide. Yes. yes. oh man welcome to today's tonight's episode of the winged wheel podcast here to talk to you about some surely not contentious topics i'm ryan Hanna. i'm gonna piss a lot of people off today probably i'm red crisco and i'm evan full disclosure uh we recorded this after the episode ended but it's something that we really should be leading with uh wednesday june 2nd is the draft lottery uh that's gonna suck for Red Wings fans, so why not make it suck together? Uh, we are going to be doing one of our Winged Wheel Podcast live streams on YouTube, youtube.com slash Winged Wheel Podcast. Hit that subscribe button, smash that notifications. I don't know, I hate doing that. Uh, subscribe, get notifications. You'll see when we go live. We're shooting for around 7 p.m. for uh, the stream coverage, the lottery. It's the NHL, so they don't tell us anything. We'll probably be around 8 p.m. Um, we're going to be doing fan discussion, analysis, reactions. We'll do some giveaways in there. We'll have fun with it. Uh, it's always a good time to do those live streams. So uh, stay tuned for that. And we hope you join us on uh, today's winged wheel podcast. We'll be doing a short update on uh, the Red Wings uh, second first round pick. It won't be much of one, but just kind of rehashing a little bit, a little bit of what we talked about last episode. Uh, but really the meat of this episode is going to be talking about the playoffs, uh, some news from around the NHL specifically regarding the uh, salary cap. And what we can expect from that in coming years, maybe even beyond coming years, uh, Seth Jones, and then of course the first real uh, headfirst dive into the topic that has been raging on whether or not we've been chatting about it. Um, should the Red Wings draft a goalie with their first round pick, and should that goalie be Jesper Wallstead? I mean, yeah, I, I, there are other goalies they could take with the other first round pick, but you guys get the gist of what we're saying. Is Jesper Wallstead? worth a top 10 pick so we uh goalie worth a top 10 pick yeah this is going to be philosophical we're we're uh if 
That conversation is probably starting in a half hour. So if you haven't taken your edible yet, now would be the time. Yeah. <laughs> Some CBD, maybe. <laughs> a few drinks. Um, yeah, the... Uh, I don't know. I feel like we're, like this will be the first one, but it definitely won't be the last. No. And I feel like we're just going to profile Wallstead to hell and back just because we're going to keep talking about him. I think I don't think we're gonna have to profile Wallstead to hell and back because I think we'll get to the conversation there. But I don't think there's many people who disagree on Wallstead the player. It's more the philosophical end of it of should you take a goalie at six, seven, or eight. Okay. Uh, before we jump into some of the meat of today's episode, I first, of course, want to talk to you about uh, what we've been chatting about with you guys uh, for a little while now, which is the Jamie Daniels Foundation. Uh, the more we talk about substance use disorder, the faster we can end the stigma and get support to those in need. The Jamie Daniels Foundation is a children's foundation initiative, and it was established in memory of Jamie Daniels and founded by Jamie's father, who you'll know as Red Wings lead announcer, Ken Daniels, and Jamie's mother, Lisa Daniels Goldman. The foundation strives to end the stigma of substance use disorder and provide support to those struggling with the disease or who are in recovery. To learn more and support, uh, visit jamiedanielsfoundation.org. Okay, um, I guess the the Red Wings draft pick update, the uh, pick that they own from the Washington Capitals, isn't too, not too much has happened. Um, we're still kind of working within the same territory here of picks yet. that the Red Wings could work with. Yet, but we're recording this on Sunday night. And uh, we chatted last episode, pretty much you want as many lower ranked teams to move on as possible. That's best case Ontario for the Red Wings. Um, And we didn't really count Montreal as one of them that was viable because Toronto was up like 3-1 at the time of recording, I think it was. And Montreal looked no part of that series. Yeah. I'm still not convinced that they do. I think it's Toronto. No, they had no business winning yesterday. None. Zero. But uh, we are less than 24 hours away uh, at the time of this recording from Game 7 of that series. (laughs) So whether or not you're someone, a Red Wings fan who's passionate and loves watching Toronto lose, which is an age-old pastime for for fans of Detroit sports, um, there is skin in the game for the Red Wings here. Like It actually does improve the possibility of uh, their second pick in the first round, moving up a little bit higher. So, again, short update, but it leads into uh, the big question of the day, which is, is this getting so fat, so fat, is this getting so sad where it's not funny anymore for the Leafs? No, why would you even suggest that? (laughs) I don't know, man. I watched Steve's LFR, and I was like, oh, that one is like, he feels real pure futility in his soul. Like, that one hurt. (laughs) Listen, Steve's a good friend. We legitimately feel bad for Steve and several people like him. Uh, But for every Steve, there's a Leaf fan who's insufferable. So it's kind of a balance out. Um, And, you know, Steve got famous for the Leafs being bad. So at least he's got that going for them. I guarantee you, if they lose tomorrow, his LFR after that game is going to be his most viewed video of the year by a mile. So, you know, there's, there's some silver linings for him. Not for Leafs fans in general. No. Oh, God, no. This would be their worst collapse, bar none, because Montreal's bad. Montreal has not looked good at any point in this series. They've had flashes, a couple shifts they string together, and Carey Price has awoken because 
This is his new MO. Uh, be terrible, not terrible, but be not great until it matters. And then, you know, summon the strength of Zeus or something. I don't know what he's doing, but it's unbelievable. And, you know, Montreal plays a good overall team defense. So they've been able to stifle Matthews, Marner, etc. And, uh, hey, if anybody wants to know the blueprint under Jeff Blashill for how the Red Wings can be successful in the playoffs, this is it. Montreal's doing it. They are getting they are getting outplayed, but they are getting good goaltending, and their team defense is strong. And everybody everybody on that team is struggling to score. So you want the blueprint. If you agree with Blashill, this is it. If you're against it, this is it. <laughs> this is a pretty good indication of what yeah. So we can't say it's impossible. They're friggin' doing it. Are they going to win the cup? No, of course not. Carey Price can't put up a 980 save percentage and short of doing that. They're not going to win the cup. <laughs> but uh, it it is, I do watch this series and, you know, the Leafs misery aside, it is a little eerie, honestly. The, I think it was Fridge who said it on his pod. He mentioned, like they were talking about next year for teams and he mentioned a belief that he thinks Ottawa believes that they're better, if not on par, with Montreal starting next season. And I don't know about better confidently, but I definitely think that they're in that same range. Like I, I don't think they're terribly far off. And what a gift it would be to GMs who are trading with Montreal, who has a GM who's basically fighting for his job, for the Habs to steal the series from the Leafs give that team a belief that they are actually only a couple pieces away from being a contender and all of a sudden they're trading futures, right? Like if you can steal a 2022 or 2023 first round pick from Montreal, I think that has a chance to be one of those sneaky picks where it won't cost you as much, but it might end up being a lottery pick after all if Montreal does implode. Because I, like you said, Brad, I don't think they're particularly, they haven't been particularly good. It's the Leafs beating themselves. To get to your little theory about that, Detroit would have to have something worth a first round pick to trade. And right now they don't, unless they move like a big name, like a Bertuzzi, I don't, I don't think there's a lot that we could expect Montreal to jump on from Detroit, but I am Bertuzzi. Yeah. But I am going to jump on a a wavelength that you were kind of getting at here. Keep in mind, these are going to, to return to be division rivals for the Red Wings next year. So whether we want to, say this Toronto Montreal series impacts Detroit or we should care. We do because I think this next game goes a long way to shaping the division because I think it'll be a big benefit uh, for everybody else in the division. If Montreal wins tomorrow, because I do truly believe Toronto is a good team. And like, this is just a curse performed by a witch doctor because how Um, their, their goalie has a nine thirty save. 937 save percentage or something in the series and they're still losing the series it's replay this series a hundred times it doesn't get to game 799 of them but uh i have some thoughts here after you're done like i don't yeah 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 toronto's not completely without blame but they are a good team and they are a far better team than montreal hands down and i even if montreal wins tomorrow i will still hold that sentiment but if Toronto loses and they go full silly season in the offseason, great. Let's see them do something stupid. But more importantly, 
I still am a firm believer Montreal's not a good team, Mark Bergevin's not a good GM, and Dominic Ducharme's not a good coach. If they win this series, they're all coming back, and that team is going to look pretty goddamn similar next year and for the next five years. So I I really want Montreal to win because it's an illusion, and I would like them to believe in their delusions for as long as possible. If we had to pick one person to slowly turn into a grit and grind wins, heart and soul, you have to show up when it matters, your underlying numbers mean nothing, person on this podcast, if we had to predict it, we all would have predicted that would have been Evan, right? Yeah. A thousand percent. He is that guy. I, I've slowly transformed, man. I think I have become that person which Evan memes about. Because I messaged you guys earlier. We were talking about the Leafs. What did Evan, What did you say? Every year requires a mental health uh, and wellness check for your Leafs fan friends. <laughs> no kidding. Every year it's it, they test their uh, allegiance to the absolute breaking point. God. Here's my here's me letting myself go into that whole the boomer window as evan says the, like this is uh the dubis was appeasing the boomer was when he brought in bogosian and the grit and whatever i'm not kidding when i say matthews and more so marner if you are going to demand and call for that much money on your contract those are not team friendly deals look i advocated for I always advocate for players to take what they're worth. I don't really like as long as it's not outrageous for the team. Um still, if you are going to take that money, you do not have the luxury of not showing up when it matters. I don't care how much you care. Ever find me an NHL player in the Stanley Cup player playoffs who doesn't care. Caring does not make you make it worth it to pay you 10 and a half, 11 and a half million whatever these guys make. You have to show up. If you're a 100-point player, if you're a Rocket Richard winner, you have to show up. I don't care about your underlying numbers. I don't care about your shooting percentage. I don't care about PDO, luck, or anything. If you don't get the results, you failed the team. You're not some grinder. You're not Nick Felino. You're not Barkley Goudreau. You're not these guys who are brought in just to, to give that foundational support to be a good locker room guys. If you don't score, if you don't produce, you don't win. And like... Lee's fans are are right to be pissed and like even like the huge Marner stands are right to be pissed. I I think it's I don't think I don't see a lot of people defending those guys obviously, but I I I'm not surprised that people are this pissed off because holy shit what a piss poor performance. I it, it like you can't be this unlucky. It's it's legitimately on you. And if you're pulling in that much money from the team, it's on you. And you know what? When the world is open, for those of you who don't know, well, I'm sure everyone actually does. Leafs tickets aren't cheap. We complained when Joe Louis Arena switched the LCA, and obviously it's a brand new arena. Ticket prices are going to rise. That is still nothing compared to whatever that arena's name is now, whatever the ACC is called now. Like, those tickets are insane. Yeah. I saw a tweet, and I sent it to you guys. I, I'm sorry for this little rant. It's from at Brian CRD. This guy's a Leafs fan. He says, I, I fucking promise you, this fan base isn't stupid. If you show up, play hard, and go down swinging, we'll be heartbroken. We'll never resent you. So no, this isn't people uh, not being loyal or jumping ship. This is people fed up with the lifeless efforts we get. Gilmore left, never lifted a cup in Toronto. Ditto Clark. See also Steve Thomas, Darcy Tucker, Gary Roberts. But you can never effing say those guys went out without a whimper the way you can with these effing losers. And like, you know what? I don't care how <laughs> emotional 
and like first name bunch of numbers that might sound to people. I think that's spot on. That's spot on. And like, look, this is a Wings podcast where Wings fans, and I think this is just more of a commentary in general, but the Leafs are this like special circumstance where it's like, how do you, it's actually messed up that you guys keep doing this. Look, they can go out and win game seven, but I don't think it'll be some heroic story. This should not have gone to seven. The odds of Toronto losing five first round series in a row, um, if every series was just assumed to be an even 50-50, is less than 3%, and here they are. So before we get to OK Boomer on this podcast, um, I'm going to kind of try to branch off of Ryan's point, but take a different approach to it. Because I agree. I don't care um, that the officiating standards change in the playoffs, which let's be honest, that hurts guys like Matthews and Marner. And that's fine. William Nylander's what five or six points this series. So if he's able to do it, they can do it. Do I expect them to do it at the same clip as a regular season? No, obviously not. Almost nobody keeps up that pace in the playoffs, which is fine. The thing that it comes down to, it's not effort. It's not care. It's not, you know, give a shit level because like Ryan said, every NHL player gives a shit. Every one of them, even the ones who don't look like they do, they do. Believe me. Hockey players are a bunch of meatheads, but they care. Where the great players separate themselves from the good players in the playoffs is adaptability. We know how Austin Matthews likes to score goals. We know how Mitch Marner likes to set up plays. Well, in the playoffs, your opposition gets a lot of looks at you. They've done a lot of research. They know what you like to do. They're going to stop that. Point blank, they are going to game plan for that. Find another way. And Marner and Matthews are not finding other ways. They have the talent and the skill to find other ways and execute on it, but it's not happening. Now, you could argue a little bit of that is coaching, which is true, but it's primarily on the players, which leads into my second point between the ears. When things are going bad, you can't panic. And what I see from Matthews and Marner right now is a lot of panic. There was a play one play that just stood out to me in the third period of Matthews got the puck on a bad angle on his off wing in the offensive zone. It was a giveaway. So he had time and space. I don't know who the forward, uh, who his winger was that was in the slot wide open with Carey Price playing a little too far out of his net. It's a 15 foot pass that Austin Matthews has made a thousand times. He makes that pass. It's three, two. Nope. No question. But he panicked. Didn't really examine his options, rushed a shot, put it right into Carey Price's chest, and nothing happened. In the regular season, that's that's a play Matthews makes 100 out of 100 times. So you can tell he's panicked right now. And you can't do that. You have to play your game in some fashion at your pace to your skill set in game two of the regular season or game 17 of the playoffs. Keep calm, yeah. keep collected, and execute. And they're not. Yeah. Well. The like I mentioned just before, um, even if they win now, down goes Brown mentioned like they've cost themselves a muzzin injury. They give the Jets more rest. They have less rest and they won't catch up to the rest of the uh, division schedules in time for round three. So they're going to be sprinting as far as they make it. And right now, I would not bet on them to beat the Jets. If they thought Montreal was hard, look what the Jets did to, to Edmonton, you know? The only positive 
and it's not much of one, but the only positive if they do win tomorrow is this is their scare. They they are now aware they are not cruising through these playoffs. Because I think up until Montreal won yesterday, we all assumed even after they lost game five, they're like, ah, yeah, it's they're still going to crush them. And here we are. Although I do want to point out how hilarious it is that for the first, what is it, one or two games of the series, Cole Caulfield and Jesperi Kotkaniemi were healthy scratches and Cole Caulfield sets up the OT winner in game five and Kotkaniemi scores the OT winner in game six. It's almost like you can play the young kids and have good results. Whether or not you're Montreal, Detroit, pick whatever goddamn team, please NHL catch up. The good news for Red Wings fans is no matter the outcome of this series, it's going to be satisfying to someone, if not everyone, in some kind of way. Um, either just through pure shot and fruit or you know, the uh, actual draft pick stuff or the the more nuanced galaxy brain GM stuff we were chatting about earlier. Uh, at the risk of talking about the Leafs or the Canadian div- division for too long, I'm going to move us along here. Um, some news about the salary cap. This has been kind of talked about for a little while, but I just wanted to give a little bit of attention to it. There was some hay made about the amount of money that the Red Wings, the Red Wings, Steve Eisman pulled in the TV deals. No, that the NHL pulled in from the ESPN and TNT TV deals, uh, which was more than what they were expecting in the COVID era and much closer to what they thought they might get before COVID hit. So people were like, well, is this going to make up for the flat salary cap? The answer to that is no. And it's a pretty firm no, and it's a no for the long for a long time. Long story short, the way the CBA works is that the players and the owners have a 50-50 split of hockey-related revenue. Um, and right now there is none, but the players are still taking their salaries at a reduced rate, the details of which we won't dive into, but still. There's a thing called escrow in which is a pretty much overly simplified, a holding area for money uh so that they can make either the owners or the players whole almost always it's the owners just that's how it works revenue is way down the players are essentially going to be owing the owners a lot of money uh the way the players negotiated the this year and these upcoming years is that they are essentially borrowing from the future league from future players or themselves in the future so that they lose less money now and that was a decision that they made I don't have a concrete number. The number I've seen thrown around has been north of $1 billion that the players owe the ownership side of the CBA. So we are looking at probably five years plus maybe of a flat cap. This isn't changing anytime soon. There's going to be a tight salary cap situation for a long time. Not only that, there's a clause in the CBA Um that can extend out this agreement to 26, 27 if the player's debt to the owner is still in the range of 125 to 250 million, apparently. So like this this informs on a lot of areas. You're gonna see a big reach to bring revenue up in a lot of ways. Whether we like it or not, and this is an argument for a different day, jersey ads are probably gonna come, helmet ads are staying, ice ads are probably gonna increase. Ticket costs are going to increase. Everything is going to go up to try to offset this. Salary cap. Salary cap. Pretty much GMs and whoever manages their salary cap, they're going to have a tall task ahead of them. So the silver lining here is, well, I'll start by saying a flat cap sucks for every team, no matter their position. 
that's the reality of it because now you have less money if you're bad now, but you get good later, you're still going to be screwed by it. If you're good now and you're going to be bad soon, you're still going to be screwed by it. For, so nobody wins here. The only silver lining for us as Red Wings fans is for the teams that have a lot of cap space, those Mark Stahl deals are going to be out there. Those sweetener deals are going to be at a premium now because we can laugh all we want about you know, we got a second round pick and Mark Stahl, but Mark Stahl was a useful player for the Red Wings for a full year. So they got a second round pick to acquire a useful player. That didn't happen two years ago. You got second round picks for boat anchors you were burying in the minors. So, you know, if if you are looking at helping out a team as with a Minnesota with a Zach Parisi, a Tampa Bay with pick a player here. Is not a small return because you are doing a colossal favor for these teams. What's Tampa during these playoffs? Somewhere between 12 to 17 mil over the cap. Yeah, they're going to have to shed before next season. So <laughs> that much. These teams. Why haven't you mentioned that before? Weird, right? I know. I, I feel like it hasn't been top of mind. <laughs> but, but yeah, so I guess if there's a silver lining in the short term, it's the Ottawa's, the New Jersey's, the Detroit's, the LA's. They. They can really take advantage. Seattle's actually going to be able to take great advantage of this. So silver lining, but the, in the big picture, this sucks for everybody. Uh, aside here, do you notice how like shitty and like we're definitely not in our podcast studio and we're re- recording remotely during COVID? Our lighting is Brad, and then Evan has like the most gorgeous, like perfect, beautiful contour lighting only on his face. That's the sun. The light in this room isn't even on. <laughs> That's actually just the aura around you. When you're rich enough, you have someone with like a lighting rig who follows you around in your whole life. If we recorded in the morning, I would have that because I'm literally facing a window, but the sun is on that side right now. Man, nobody needs to see your pasty face any better than they need to see mine. Evan's a real moneymaker here. Uh, <laughs> cursory nods from Evan. That's uh yeah, Ryan, go ahead, move on. Um and the big takeaway, like you said, Brad, is that there's probably more opportunities here for those stall deals. A lot of the urgency from last season was people thinking, well, this is the one big chance before things go back up. And the takeaway is it won't. Teams are going to plan for this, so you're not going to see as many squeezes as in the past, but at the same time, if a team knows they'll be in this situation for, you know, three, four, five more years they're probably not going to try to hold through any any longer. They might try to make a big move. So I don't I, – I stopped betting on a big splash a long time ago, but it still opens up the door. Um, all right. Seth Jones apparently is looking to test free agency and in all likelihood won't be re- returning to the Columbus Blue Jackets. Funny player to evaluate. Pretty weird because – you look at his underlying numbers and they scream, this is a terrible player. And I think anyone who watches Seth Jones knows that that's not the case. Um, I think it's a pretty good, I don't want to say red flag because I don't want to say the analytics are wrong, but it's it's a good indicator of how analytics don't necessarily always tell the whole story and they should be used as a tool and a little bit more broad strokes than just pinpointing like yeah he had a bad season this is a bad player but still he's going to command big money and it the numbers are a little bit worrying well for context just for red wings fans analytically speaking philip zadino is one of the worst red wings this year 
And we all know that's just flat out not the case. He was easily a top three or four player on that team. So the analytics, and I'm a believer in the analytics, uh, very rarely tell the entire story. It's just one more, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, clue is to answering the question, is this player good or not? That being said, when you see a player as high profile as Seth Jones, and Seth Jones is the type of player the national media talking heads love to talk about, sickeningly so, because he plays big minutes on a bad team and, you know, fourth overall pick, yada, yada. yada. We we know the type. He He's the type of guy I'm not giving big dollars to. One, for, again, the Red Wings are in a rebuild and he's on the wrong side of 25. You don't you don't shell out money in term to those guys when you're in the position the Red Wings are. If we're having this conversation in three, four years, yeah, this would be the type of player you'd probably look to supplement an already good roster. Or maybe he's if you're a right-handed D is the last piece you're missing, okay, then we can have that conversation. Cause like I said at the beginning of the episode, the Red Wings should never attempt to trade for a pending UFA. So I'm not going to rehash that. But if he does make it to market. And whatever team he gets traded to does not extend him. Should the Red Wings sign him? My immediate gut reaction is no. I would love Seth Jones on the Red Wings. I think Seth Jones is a really, really good player. Analytics be damned. Bad team. Although there were defensemen on that team that had positive analytics. So that is worth noting. Even though Columbus by and large sucked. But quality of competition. Seth Jones was getting the big matchups, etc., etc., etc. He, because of his reputation for the quote unquote intangibles and his overall reputation in general, he's probably going to get way more money than end term than he should. Even in a flat cap world, uh, like would I give Seth Jones an eight by eight I, or an eight by seven? I guess given that he's UFA, I would not. I don't think there's a team in the league that would hesitate to do that. I, I with the cap space, I should say. That's probably most people would consider that a bargain for Seth Jones. And by league standards, it probably is. But the position the Red Wings are in, what I think of Seth Jones as a player relative to where the Red Wings are, I I can't see this being a match that even makes a little bit of sense when it comes to time. Yeah, I was somewhat surprised because I think we all saw the same bar graph. Was it a bar graph? that you guys saw we'll call it a bar graph and i was somewhat surprised to see i think that was over the past his past three seasons so i was somewhat surprised to see that but um somehow seth jones managed to be a half a point per game player on a team that's third last in goals four um so that's not nothing and i agree with what you guys said like he passes the eye test to me and he plays the most minutes in the hardest matchups so he must be looking for an absolute payday, which I think, you know, he deserves and he'll probably get on the open market. So um, just just goes back to how Columbus grinds their RFAs and then they just they're done once they hit UFA status. Um, is he a good fit on Detroit? Yeah. But do you want Seth Jones at a monster contract at the wrong time? Definitely not. Um Eh, maybe he'll sign in Tampa for like $10 million and be injured all year or something and then just play in the playoffs. Who knows? But yeah, I was surprised to see those advanced stats uh, be so po- as poor as they were, but 
he's going to get paid, and I, I think he deserves it. Like, I think he's a very good defenseman. You, and, you said uh, $10 million and then injured all year, or he can be the other kind of Tampa player where even though he has $11 million everywhere on the market, he signs there for like 6.5 and also like gives them some money too. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, no trade protection at all. Just, you know, pay me in uh, in and out burger coupons. <laughs> That's what he wants. And also, it, it's wor- it's worth mentioning, too, because we can talk about who Seth Jones is as a player and where the Red Wings are in the rebuild. But circling back to our last topic, it's a flat cap world. This is not a great time to be handing out huge contracts uh, long term to players, especially when you're not ready to contend. But there is an argument to be made. Yeah, get good players. Just get good players. Well, if you, the Red Wings are in the advantageous spot in a flat cap world of having a ton of cap space, which is a premium. Keeping that cap space will allow them to get good players who are younger through the draft, through taking prospects to unload bad contracts, however that might be. If they get rid of that excess cap space, they lose that ability to gain picks and prospects who could be very good players. So, you do have to understand that if the Red Wings are shelling out eight, nine, ten million dollars a year for Seth Jones, they lose that ability. So don't just look at it as, yeah, just get good players and sign Seth Jones, because you know that there's always the argument for that. I mean, contract length, state of rebuild are always arguments too. But in this case, we have this added layer that needs to be considered. Yeah, I think that's a good point, Brad. And it's something that we bring up anytime there's a big name free agent, right? Like for a long time, pretty much from like 2015, 2016 onwards, we were saying, uh, yeah, that's a big name uh, for the Red Wings, but it's not really the right time. Don't do it. Flat out, don't do it. And I, th- I think you're both right in that still the timing is wrong. But Brad, I think that was a pretty astute point at some point you do have to think about bringing in good players like it it can't always be perfect timing that's just not the way it works and really if you want to set yourself up for a success maybe you do mess up the timing a little bit so when your team is ready to turn the corner you have a seth jones still in prime ish years playing for you i don't think that's the situation here i think the smart move would be to hold off but at the same time if he was brought in if seth jones was brought in for an affordable deal I would be pretty happy. Then you're really spelling away the whole uh, Shane Wright, Connor Bedard, Multimichkov drafts, but that's a that's a whole other conversation. I think something that would be fun, and it wouldn't work out this way because it doesn't really make sense for the player, and the NHL is no fun. But think of a world where Seth Jones is trying to cash out. There's not really buy-in from across the league because no one has money. The flat cap, people are scared of his underlying numbers. If you're Steve Eisman, do you offer Seth Jones like, hey, we'll give you three years. It'll take you to 29, which is a great time to still be seeking another long-term contract. We'll pay you eight and a half, nine. Your tra- you give us a five-team no-trade list, and we'll give you consultation on what team you actually want to be traded to any of those years. And now Eisman has a potential like mega trade blockbuster piece for the next any one of the next three years to move at the deadline. You retain some salary, and that's how you get another huge pick. It's a huge galaxy brain. It, it, I can't remember the last time the NHL shook out that way, except for maybe Taylor Hall, and he got moved for not first-round picks, but still. I don't know. Crazy or only really crazy? 
Uh, really crazy because that would mean there are 31 teams essentially not interested, which I think half the league at a minimum will be tripping over themselves to get this guy. Yeah, that's true. I have a better well, idea. Not for- we wait three years and then we can sign a 39-year-old Brent Seabrook. <laughs> Thoughts? Why? To beat him up for scoring that overtime winner in 2013? Well, if we wait five years, we can fulfill the prophecy and sign Jacob Chikrin. <laughs> that actually might not be bad. Like, <laughs> It's actually not bad. He'll Although be 27. I'm, yeah, I'm still not what? emotionally ready to talk about Jacob Chikrin. What if we trade for him instead and we offer Chalosky and Heronic? Here's the here's the available defenseman as pe- trending towards UFAs in five years. Jacob Chikrin, Ivan Provorov, Aaron Ekblad, Shea Theodore, Jacob Slavin, Victor Hedman, and I'll just say Nate Schmidt. Ah, yes. The young defensemen in a league where contracts max out at eight years are coming up for contract in five years. I love it. Crazy. (laughs) Well, we could find Ryan Suter, too, and fulfill that prophecy. Oh, I was going to say, that's the one where you really circle around on. Although, when does he expire? Like 2055 or something? I think he's got four more years. Five more years? Oh, my God. Oh, no. Yeah. I'd be shocked if Slavin and Theodore and Hedman weren't extended, like, well in advance. Yes. Oh, they will. Yeah. Anyhow, a year out, they'll be extended. The Seth Jones conversation will continue. I think you're right, Brad. I think teams are going to be tripping over themselves. Someone with cap space or someone who's a cup contender will make the right offer in terms of either money or competition for Jones, and he'll go there. Um, of course, it's worth the conversation with the Red Wings. It's just not, to put it lightly, the most apparent fit. All right, let's move on to what has been a pretty fun conversation across Red Wings fandom. Uh, It's the NHL draft prospect profile, the return of, and we thought for this one, we would do uh, Jesper Wallstedt some justice and actually talk about his game before uh, bearing him in the um, conversation of, is it a good move to draft a goalie in the top 10 in the NHL? And by burying him, I mean, people aren't focusing on him, the goalie and more just him, the idea. Jesper, the idea. Um, who wants to start with the Jesper Wallstedt's draft prospect profile? I'll get the most hate, so I'll start. Um, like I mentioned earlier, I don't think there's a lot of people who are going to disagree on how good Jesper Wallstedt is for an 18-year-old. I think everybody who's watched him more than a handful of times will agree this is a special, special talent. Um He's got that carry price quality to him where he's very calm, collected, technically sound in net, doesn't get rattled, doesn't make a ton of flashy saves because he doesn't have to because he's always in the right spot. He's anticipating the play very well, but has that sneaky good athleticism where when he does need to go east-west in a hurry, he can do it. I wouldn't say that's the strength of his game. That's probably the weak point of his game, if I'm being honest, but it's still very good. Right. Like he is a very overall solid fundamental goalie. And there's not a lot, there's not anything really to dislike about his game. The, the only real question with Wallstead is how good is his good? What is his ultimate upside? Is he Carey Price? Is he Darcy Kemper? Is he something in between? We, you never know because the interesting thing with Wallstead is I see a lot of comparisons to, 
what Spencer Knight did his draft year, what Yaroslav Askarov did his draft year, which isn't an apples to apples comparison because Walsh, it's a 2002 birthday. He's a November 02. So he's the same age as Yaroslav Askarov. Um, but because of the late birthday, he wasn't eligible till this year. So it is expected for him to have a stronger draft year because he was older than those two um, at that point. But that being said, his his 17-year-old season was still unbelievable. So if you throw this whole past season in the garbage, he's still a, a first-round pick. Um, so not to discredit him. But uh, yeah, because he doesn't have that elite athletic look about him and those elite athletic movements in the net some people do wonder and and justifiably so is this a Vesna caliber goalie or is he just a really good goalie um you know i tend to be of the side of if you never have to make a hard save that's probably a telling sign that you're a really goddamn good goalie so i i i'm in the camp of i think jesper wallstedt is what we think he is. And that's going to be a number one top 10 goalie in the NHL one day. Yeah. Scouting goalies is something that's been fun to do because it's difficult. Um, I've found myself really relying on people who are much more in the know about the position itself. Uh, For anyone who knows goalies, that means you're crazy friends, but still, I mean, they're really good between the pipes. So, um, and, and useful for helping you scout. You mentioned that thing, Brad, about lateral movement. And I was chatting with someone who, really knows the position and they were saying pretty much what you said it's not his strong suit but it's not a weakness either it's at worst just above average but at the same time they think it's masked because he doesn't necessarily have to do that his his sense of anticipating the play like we talk about hockey iq for you know forwards and defensemen he has hockey iq in terms of a goalie, he knows how a play is unfolding. He knows how it d- develops and his puck tracking is apparently one thing that's been a- described a lot as elite. And you can tell that. And that really all factors into what you were talking about, Brad. Like this guy really is almost never out of position and never has to display some act of heroism in net because he's always in the right place. Positioning angles, challenging the shooter, which he does really aggressively, which I like. He cuts down those angles in a very intelligent way. That feeds into it. And so does the puck tracking. And you can't have elite puck tracking without elite, you know, hockey sense in terms of anticipating how the play is going to develop and vice versa. Um, Big guy, 6'3", over, I think he was sitting at 210, 215. So, you know, right size that you're looking for for a goalie. Um, Extremely confident in net. One comparison that always struck me, funny enough, is what do we say about Mo Sider? He looks like he is a defenseman playing beyond his ears, and that's what the sense that you get from Jesper Wallstead. And he, uh, Jesper Wallstead's the first goalie in a while to make me question the whole "don't take a goalie in the first or at the top of the first round" thing because do you do that because they're unpredictable? But he plays with such poise, and his skills are so observable and repeatable and he's demonstrated them at so many levels this is about as sure as i've been about a goalie in a long time i have yeah, fr- i know nothing about goalies um and obviously how to scout them it's not really in my wheelhouse because i never was a goalie so it's it's hard for me to get a good idea on how they stack up but he is sort of like the counterpart to Askarov for me. Askarov's ultra-athletic, 
Doesn't have the great positioning, in my opinion, but he makes some ridiculous saves, whereas Wallstead's like always in great position and isn't frantically running around the net. Um, and from what I can tell, like, I don't, you know, know the traits of a, a goalie prospect, but he's got excellent footwork and that allows him to be so poised. Um, I think really the only question for me is, do you draft a goalie top 10 in the first round? And I mean, you got to really trust your scouting to make that call. Um, but in my opinion, he looks like the real deal. I, I don't know what else you could really want out of a, a, a prospective goalie. Um, I, I did a quick search and it's like, I think since 2005, there was like 14 goalies taken in the first round. And I would say about like six of them have become legit starters. And there's a couple fringe like Jack Campbell, but he's been in the NHL a while. There's guys like Malcolm Subban who've kind of sniffed around. Um, and then there's guys you've never heard of. But six out of 14 is not bad. I'd, obviously, I don't know how that really compares against other prospects or other positional uh, prospects. But, you know, I think he looks great. So do you take him with the first overall pick? That's a that's a big boy play. Uh, you got to be damn sure that you know what you're doing. Um if the Red Wings draft seventh and he's their guy, I don't know who the Red Wings goalie scout goalie scouts are, but they better be damn sure that that is the guy they want, and no one else around that or is available at that pick is someone we would want or they would want as well. They got to be damn sure. That's all I can say for any team picking him. All right. So before we get into the big philosophical discussion, one more point I want to make about Wallstead. And I have a friend who's a goalie coach who kind of explained this to me because again, scouting goalies is not my strong suit. I don't think it's any of ours. We talk a lot and we mentioned a lot because it's buzzwords when scouting goalie with puck tracking and technically sound. And it's, it's easy to say those things, but I really wanted to understand what that meant. And the way he explained it to me is Look at a goalie when they're in their fundamental butterfly position. So knees on the ice, legs spread out, arms tucked into their body. This is their control position, right? The more saves, if they routinely make saves from that position, that's what we mean. They're in their structure. They have tracked the puck so that they are ahead of it and they don't have to reach with one of their arms or reach with one of their legs or do something crazy to make the save. They're there. They just get into their butterfly and the puck hits them. That's That was the best way it's been explained to me. They're ahead of the play. They react. They read at the right time. And then there's no fancy windmill. There's no big kick windmill save or stacking the pads. It just hits them. He pointed out Carey Price is the best example of this. Carey Price pucks just hit them. So if you see a goalie where the pucks just hit them over and over and over again, that's a good goalie, and that's what I see in Wallstead. Just imagine that every breakaway Darren Helm has ever taken has been on the same goalie. That's what you're looking for. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Darren Helm fans. Um, okay. The question of do you take a goalie in the first round, especially with a top 10 pick? 
It'll be no secret. No, never. It, moving on. <laughs> All right. That's the episode. No. Uh, and and as Brad alluded to, it'll be no secret what the prevailing opinion is, not just on this podcast, a lot, you know, pretty much across the hockey world, a lot of people hold this opinion. Um, it's that no, because not just because goalies are unpredictable and not because the scouting on them has been unreliable and we're not quite good at figuring them out like we are figuring out players and we're not really that great at figuring out players either on balance um it's that good goaltending can ha- be had for cheap elsewhere uh you need to look no further than Jonathan Bernie for that Jonathan Bernie is not just playing well for the Red Wings Jonathan Bernie is playing well period uh Chris Drieger in Florida Jack Campbell is the starter for the Toronto Maple Leafs and he was a throwaway at some at one point for another team. Time and time again, teams find good goaltending for cheap. Um, is it a reliable way to do it? You're not going to hit every time you sign a, a UFA goalie or bring in a guy for low dollars, but it's doable and it's repeatable with enough good pro scouting and you know the right timing and the right situation. The question is. Is Wallstead enough of a sure thing? Do the Red Wings have enough of a need? Is it worth the risk of bringing him in? It's a big answer and there's a lot of, there's, I shouldn't say a lot. There is a number of reasons why I don't do it. And it, and almost none of them have anything to do with what I think of Wallstead. Cause we all know the age old joke, goalies are voodoo, never take him in the first round. You never know. I'm with you. I'm as confident in Wallstead as I've been in the first round goalie. I, I won't say the most because I think Spencer Knight was right there for me, but we'll say I'm I'm more confident about Wallstead than anything else. For me, it's not a question of if he hits because you don't know if a player is going to hit. It's the long-term implications with a goalie that cause the problem because there's three rea- – there's three – core realities that could happen when you draft a goalie in the top 10 in the first round for the most part. There's nuance to this and all this. So I'm obviously talking in broad strokes. Number one, goalies are voodoo. He sucks. You just wasted a first round pick and got absolutely nothing out of it. Sucks to suck nerd. Number two, he's all right. He's, he's a, he's a, he's a decent to average NHL starter. You can extend him on a contract to for a pretty reasonable number, something in the five, six million range. Okay. He's all right. But as Ryan just said, you can find all right really easily or see he is what we think he is, which then means you have a three year window to win to, to truly take advantage of that. And that's his entry level contract because players like Jesper Walsh that we could, that we think he could be like Carrie price, like Andre Vasilevsky. They're going to cost you $10 million plus, and anybody in the analytics community, anybody will tell you, you don't pay a goalie $10 million. You don't. When you can, the margin, and I'm not saying that these guys aren't elite. They are. I'm not saying Andre Vasilevsky isn't worth $10 million because he is the best goalie in the NHL. But look at Tampa. They're going to have to lose a very, very good player this offseason because Vasilevsky's contract kicked in this year. They're only as good as they are right now because of, quite honestly, cap circumvention. They should be without Nikita Kucherov right now by the salary cap. They got lucky Kucherov got hurt or else they would have had to have lost some pretty elite players. 
or at least one. Um, the gap is the conversation here. What is the gap from Andre Vasilevsky to Jonathan Bernier? Ten and a half million dollars to four million dollars. It's not that big. Yes, nobody is going to argue that Andre Vasilevsky isn't is better than Jonathan Bernier. Everybody on this sun knows that. But what's that? difference in goals extra goals saved in year five six how many wins does that equate to is is one goalie going to blow it that big for you in the playoffs no probably not unless you're pittsburgh penguins and your only plan is tristan jari with no backup yeah like that vasilevsky on the red wings doesn't win many more games no the red wings are still probably picking yeah. somewhere between sixth and tenth overall like yeah we need to understand that goaltending is the most important position in the league, and it is also the most replaceable position in the league. You can look around the league and find you 15 goalies that can, that are capable of winning you a Stanley Cup. The best case scenario, the absolute best case scenario, if you draft Jesper Wallstep in the first round, is that he has a very slow start to his NHL career, gets hot in the second half of his second season, the third year, and you get him on a long-term deal for six-ish million dollars like Anaheim did with John Gibson. That is your best case scenario, but that is a pipe dream. You are banking on luck of timing. Now, this gets into my, my grandiose tying this all together, why you don't do it. Because even at that best case scenario where you get Wallstat signed long-term for a very reasonable cap hit and he's kind of a late bloomer, which he isn't likely to be, he's probably going to come on time for his skill set, but you are now also short one position player on your roster that you could have had with the sixth overall pick. Look at that. Take a Philip Zadina or a Mo Sider out of the Red Wings organization. Two sixth overall picks. Just take him out. You don't get that player this year, but you have the goalie. Whereas you could have had the goalie and that sixth overall pick. So as much as it is this easy to say for me, yes, Wal- Jesper Wallstedt is, I'll, I'll bet a good amount of money, Jesper Wallstedt will be one of the 10 best players out of this draft. I still don't do it because there's way more that goes into goaltending and the gap between a good and a bad goalie than there is for Detroit's Red Wings need for a a new center, a playmaking winger, a top two defenseman. (laughs) They have a ton of holes that they need to fill. So you can get a goalie easily on the market. You cannot get a top four defenseman or a top six center all that easily. I feel like Evan, when uh, you keep taking his draft picks right before him, because you got to my point (laughs) about the other kind of contract, you mentioned John Gibson, and I think that was a really good case. I think one that might be a little bit more front of mind for people right now because of how he's playing and the fact that he's in the playoffs is uh, Connor Hellebuck for the Jets, signed uh, starting with the 18-19 season on a six-year deal worth just north of $6 million. And at the time, that was a risk. And it was a risk where people said, look, this is an aggressive contract, but if Hellebuck continues to play at the level he's playing at and improves, this will be a great deal. I think Hellebuck's one of the best goalies on the planet. And I think he, he plays at that level quite a bit. Um, a little bit underappreciated, I think, just because of where he plays. He's 27, so this contract will finish. He's about 20, yeah, 27, 
maybe 28. Yeah, he's 28 now. Uh, just actually a couple weeks ago. This contract will finish when he's around 30. Just north of $6 million for that goalie who on in most playoffs in most years is going to do at the bare minimum the standard you need to move to the next round so long as your team shows up and oftentimes will steal you a series. That's good. I don't think it's just goalie plays bad and so you could get him cheap or goalie is Andre Vasilevsky, then he's expensive. I think there's that middle ground where if you decide you want to draft Jesper Wallstedt, then you say, all right, we're taking a super aggressive tack here. We're not going to play him to the level where he's the bonafide starter right at the start of his ELC. And so he's going to be owed all that money. We'll ease him in and we'll be aggressive with his extension in a way where we pretty much extend the window. Because honestly, if a goalie's coming in at around five million after his ELC, five, five and a half, six, like to me, that's perfectly fine. You can build a team around that, especially if you're smart with your other contracts. If there's ever a season, like counting all that, and then if there's ever a season where you're going to draft a goaltender with the top 10 pick, this is the year, right? Because I'm not looking at the gap between uh, Wallstedt and Vasilevsky or Wallstedt and whoever. I'm looking at the gap between Wallstedt and Powers and Beneers and Luke Hughes and Lysel and Genther. Like, If you're only certain that Beneers will be at best – a weak first line center or a solid second line center. Look, that's a great thing. And the Red Wings absolutely need that. Or Luke Hughes will probably land your second pairing left-hand defenseman. Maybe your first pairing, if all goes well, that's a good thing. The Red Wings need that. But those aren't the same as the most cider pick, right? Like let's pretend we are all right about most cider from the start. That's not the same as what the Red Wings are purportedly getting from Philip Zadina. That's not the same as what, you know, Anaheim got when they drafted Trevor Zegras. It's just not that year by all rights. There might be a phenom in this draft, but nobody really sees it. So why not? I'm, I'm doing a little bit of devil's advocate. Why not take Jesper Wallstedt, take an aggressive focus track with his contract and try to make it work? Because if Wallstedt pans out and is in the same tier as Vasilevsky, man, I'm trying to make it work. I'm trying to make it work. And then you essentially have to double your, your work later on by making sure that contract's not outrageous. It's a big ask, but you can do if you can do that that is like you said the most important position solved yes and if you draft wall state you have to be aggressive on that contract you have to extend him before he takes off because once he does you're screwed you have to take the gibbs and the hellbuck but then that comes with the inherent risk of okay we signed him to a six by six and oh shit he actually sucks that his really good year was an aberration well you're screwed that's always going to be there but this is kind of if, if you want to get way too rudimentary about it and, and people will still land on different sides of this fence. If you look at most mock drafts for this year and you look at who's available for the Red Wings picks and what you think they're going to be, because I don't want to have the conversation about this draft sucks. So this is the year to do it. The very tippy top of this draft sucks. There's no. Dolly and there's no Lafreniere. That doesn't mean there's still not very, very good players available late in the top 10. And there is a guy who's almost always available. And so I'll use him as the example. A guy who is almost always available when I look at the top 10 rankings and mock drafts for the Red Wings at number six or seven is Kent Johnson. So I'll use him for this example. Not a direct position of need for the Red Wings as a left winger, but a style of player they could use, a second line winger who's probably going to run a half wall on your on one of your power play units. 
So take him as the example. Now, we keep using Jonathan Bernier as the example because you can always find Jonathan Bernier's. So I'm using his name, but understand in four to five years, it'll be a different name. So take Jonathan Bernier and Kent Johnson. Do you trade him straight up for, do you trade that package straight up for Jesper Wallstead? That's the question. And I'm not saying what side of the fence anybody should fall on, but that is the question. And that comes with all the question marks with Wallstead. What is his contract going to be? Is he going to be a number one goalie? Is he not? Because we still have to ask those questions when you're drafting a goalie. To me, I'm taking a, a cheap, reliable veteran goalie and someone who can run a power play for me versus a, a, a I'm not going to say slight, but a all right upgrade at goalie. All right, Evan, I'm going to flip this to a little bit of what you said. Uh, what did I say? When uh, you were saying like the, you better be damn sure if you're the goalie scouts or if you're the, the European scouts and you think Wallstead's the real deal. You're Steve Eisman, Evan, and your European scouts or your goalie scouts are banging their fists on the table and other scouts that you trust are saying too much risk. What do you do? Where are the Red Wings drafting? Six well, let's seventh. My whole answer is it depends, which is the most boring answer of all time. <laughs> it is. But if... I, I'm just trying to think of the top 10, you know, the consensus top 10, who I like. like. Consensus. What? I don't think there really is consensus, but yeah, go I, on. Yeah, you know what I mean, like the general feel about it. You know, I just feel like at seven, there's going to be a defenseman or a forward that I like more than Wallstead. You know, goalies, obviously, we're talking about Carey Price, you know, potentially stealing a series right now. There's only one Carey Price for the most part. Um, I just feel like there's going to be a a, posi- a a skater that I like more than Wallstead at seven. Um, so, like I said, you got to be damn sure that you don't like anybody else at seven more than you like Wallstead. And you can't just roll the dice. Like it has to be, you have to be sure because then you just threw away a pick. Yeah. I almost talked myself into it. I'm like, look, Vasilevsky won the cup. And then I'm like, yeah, but then so did Jordan Bennington, right? Like it's not lots of different kinds of goalies win the cup. And you don't want to draft a goalie seventh overall for him to be a backup. It is all or nothing. Yeah. Because you can find backups all the time. You can find them anywhere. And apparently you can find starting goaltenders a little bit easier now these days too. So you have to be absolutely damn sure that he's your guy. And you don't like anybody else at that uh, that's available. Pass on the goalie, so, spend the extra million dollars on the best goalie coach you can find. Honestly, and if you look back over the past years, and you brought up a good point, lots of different types of goalies win the Stanley Cup. Um, last year, it was Andre Vasilevsky. Before, and he was on a contract that wasn't his current $9.5 contract. That started this year. So the Tampa Bay Lightning were not paying Vasilevsky $9.5 when he won the Cup. Before that... Jordan Bennington, out of absolutely nowhere, wins a cup. And now that we've had a couple of years of Jordan Bennington, we can definitively say he is very average. The year before that was Braden Holtby. 
he was a very late bloomer, late round draft pick that just panned out. The goal, the who were the goalies the year before that? Matt Murray. He just got hot for a couple of years. He's not all that good anymore. I mean, Carey Price doesn't have a Stanley Cup. Henrik Lundqvist never won a Stanley Cup. Sergei Bobrovsky doesn't have a Stanley Cup. Like, I'm not saying this is the my gotcha, but the goalies who make $10 million a year don't have Stanley Cups. Now, Tampa's in a great position to do that this year because of cap circumvention. Like, <laughs> it's... I'm just saying it's you don't need a superstar goalie to win the cup and the teams that have a $10 million goalie haven't won a cup. Marc-Andre Fleury was a superstar, fell off and got the second wind of all second wins and is now playing like a superstar again. That guy is a freak of nature. And yet isn't playing tonight. Go figure. I guess this galaxy bringing this shit. Um, man, the Detroit Red Wings last cup came with like a 52 year old Chris Osgood. Like, Almost had another one. Anyways. Anyways, yeah. like I, we said. Yeah. There's this is you can very easily see why this is a nuanced conversation and it, it's worth talking about. Right now, I think I'm still falling on the same side as you guys, but this has been the most open I've been to the idea. And I'm curious to see as we get closer to the draft, you know, how much am I gonna love the idea of powers, uh own power and veneers? Um and how much am I going to love the idea of whoever else is there available for them? By the way, uh, we should have opened with this draft lottery live stream Wednesday on YouTube. Yep. Uh, tune in, subscribe on YouTube, hit the little bell thing. I, I don't really know what you're supposed to say. Uh, and I get hate notified. the draft lottery. I hate watching the draft lottery. I hate everything about this. So miser- misery loves company. Come watch me suffer, which is the yeah. best advertisement I can give you guys. It's good. Um, fun. But, but before I get to it, my final point on this. I am arguing very hard against drafting Wallstead in the top 10. I don't think I'm going to change my mind unless some new radical idea is presented to me that I fully jump on board with between now and the draft. But I'm not saying that if the Red Wings do take Jesper Wallstead, that there isn't a path where this could work out phenomenally. I laid it out. If the Red Wings draft him, and they time his contracts right, and he does turn out to be what we think he is. There is a path for this to be very successful. I'm just saying it's a big risk and not all that likely. So all right. We have to factor that in. That's the goalie conversation, part one of many. We're going to move on to overtime, you guys. Um, and on this episode of the Wind Wheel Podcast, we are going to start with our Patreon supporters. Consider supporting us on Patreon. Um, the Wind Wheel Podcast Patreon supporters are the reason we can have long-winded conversations about whether or not we can draft goalies, the top 10, before our Swedish listeners crucify us in the comments. So thank you all so much for your amazing support. Um, we're going to start with Deathman6452 on Patreon. It says, morning, WWP boys. What's been your favorite moment in the playoffs so far? Mine has to be when Kak and Yemi scored an OT forcing Game 7 for the Leafs. I sadly take too much joy in seeing them implode. Side note, did you know that we have 48 million cap space next year? What are we going to do with all that? Oh, it's actually just a slush fund for Evan, believe it or not. Is uh. He's going to buy like two new golf clubs because I assume that's how much golf clubs cost. About, yeah. Yeah. Um, favorite moment in the playoffs. Oof. Hard pressed. 
the Matthias Janmark hat trick just to watch people lose their minds about a Red Wings draft pick doing well in the playoffs because I think that's hysterical. Even though those are his uh, first goals scored on a goalie since being acquired by the Golden Knights. Yeah, people like to forget that part. They act like this is some like you know devastatingly bad trade or whatever it is, and it's just not the case. Anyways, yeah. Um, I don't know if I had to pick a moment, the Kotkaniemi one's probably a pretty good one, but I'm going to just have a cop-out answer and say the entire Tampa, Florida series. That was a rivalry that we needed to see bloom. I think hockey needed to see bloom and it lived up to every bit of the hype. Mine's just seeing fans back in buildings. What a different answer. What a different environment it is. Even when there's 2,500 fans in the arena, and some arenas that have like what seems like a full barn. It just it's seems weird, but it's awesome at the same time. Yeah, it really is. Like that has to make such a huge That's difference. like my answer is like that thing they have at the end of like the Stanley Cup playoff like thank you video and it's like you the fans <laughs> and then it goes fades to black. And you're just sitting there blushing on your couch. Well, I had no idea. I meant so me, <laughs> me. <laughs> Bra- except Brad's TV is Gary Bettman going. No, not you. Fuck off, Brad. Annoying. Yeah, except Brad <laughs> at the bottom. Um. Next comment. Oh, Brendan. Jesus it says Ryan say hashtag. Crypto is the worst thing that's ever happened to humanity. I'm not gonna say it. Ryan say hashtag. You know from. The token's called Come Rocket. It says, hey guys, thank you for doing uh doing this post. I've officially invested in the following tokens, ass, come rocket, MILF, and FERC token. Uh, am I doing this investment thing right? The Joe Murphy book is very good, but it makes me think if you could draft someone first overall who's that good, but just not for you, you have to trade him or continue by uh drafting one of the better players in the draft, but maybe ranked around fifth so you can actually end up keeping him. I haven't read the Joe Murphy book yet. Um, and by God, those investments are horrifying. Good luck. Jeff Lehman says, general hockey question, what makes a team a good first, second, or third period team? Is it just another player utilization thing by the coach, or do they track that kind of stuff just for fun? Also, if we win the Shane Wright lottery, the pod is going to pay for a Wright jerseys for all patrons, right? I don't know about that many, but we'll hand out a few. Um, <laughs> there's definitely something to be said about coaching and how it comes into play for a first second third period team because i think that's more about consistency than anything else i think a lot of it's just noise too i don't know two things one a team that has a system that can properly adapt to it um but the bigger point is the long change really does favor the teams that can skate well because the basics here you have to go farther to make the change so you have to do it quicker so teams that play fast have a good system and skate well generally do better and the teams that are scrambly and slow are always going to struggle in that department because it there it isn't a coincidence why some teams you can see their stats in the second period just plummet uh andrew bohan says hello lovely dub dub boys give it to me straight how bad is wednesday going to be the usual bad andrew also god damn those double ahf world championships are freaking mad this year yeah it's funny when like the best teams that are usually there don't send their best players 
and then all the other countries that like love the world send their best players. It makes for great hockey. Uh, it doesn't make for great hockey. It makes for great entertainment. That's what it's just chaos. It, it's it's super fun. AJ Voss says to celebrate everything I've had going on lately. I'm looking to get a jersey. I can't find a wing stadium series slash winter classic jersey that's in my price range. So I'm setting my sight on some retros. Got my eyes on a black Hashik Sabres jersey, but before I pull the trigger, are there any others I should look at? Black Hashik Sabres is a good one to check out. I think another one you could look for is um, the any of the teal and eggplant Mighty Ducks jerseys. Those are Korea. really cool. Korea. Yeah. Like oh, I yeah. was literally going to suggest the Paul Korea uh, Mighty Ducks jersey. Uh, spaghetti Skate Beret. Always a good time. Um. Talk to Rowan might be able to help you out, even with the Red Wings Winter Classic jerseys or Stadium Series, maybe. Uh, Terry Driver of Crying Ryan Hannah, Hannah's Banana Slamma Jamathong says, Good day, Dud Duds. Terry here. Let's pretend we end up with the sixth pick. Besides keeping it, would you reasonably trade it away for a player? My dart on the wall selected Nolan Patrick. Thank you for the mug. I can't wait to throw it against the wall when the Rangers <laughs> win the lottery again. Good. If- God, No. Wouldn't trade it for Nolan Patrick. Don't know if I'm trading it for a player unless it was a recently drafted player that I would prefer to have on the Red Wings. I would entertain trading the pick for future firsts, though. Depends on the team. Yeah, like for me, if it's a player 22 or younger, that's really, really good. Sure, but no team is going to trade a really, really good player under 22 for another dart at the board, honestly. Um. Yeah, there's no real scenario here where making the pick doesn't make the most sense unless some other GM just goes off the deep end. Mark Mark Burnham says, with all the Edmonton people blaming McDavid for playoff failure, sounds like they don't want him anymore. Thoughts on picking up that contract? I mean, yeah, if you look at it, he's actually underpaid. So, gladly. Absolutely. Yeah, what's league max? 16 and a half mil? Yeah, he's underpaid. Uh, league max fine of $5 says with a quick guess, do you think we will be within the top 10 lottery odds after the 22, 23 season? If yes, what nice chip did Eisman trade after 22, 23? Like, are we oh, talking about, are we going to be in the top 10 for the Bedard Mitch contract? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what they're saying. Yeah. I, I think, think yes. we will be on the border of it. Michael Barry says, how are you guys supporting Steve Dangle? Would the Leafs winning Monday night be good for the Amazon series they have? Also tougher times since 67. Leafs or Lions? Keep up the good work. That's tough. I feel equal hopelessness as a Lions. I feel more hopeless as a Lions fan than Leafs fans should. But also, it's got to tear you apart when you have a team this good and you're still collapsing. What? Do you agree with the age-old saying of it's better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all? No, not necessarily. Then the Leafs have it worse. (laughs) Well, I think both teams have loved (laughs) and lost. Like, Barry Sanders and Calvin Johnson are two of the best of all time at their positions. I'm just looking more at football. (laughs) I'm just making, I'm just looking at wins and championships. The Leafs have had really good teams and have had expectations of winning the cup. The Lions never really have. Uh, how are we supporting Steve? Honestly, I was going to text him last night and then I was like, I think I just need to let him. No, yeah. Off. This is one of those ones. You, you just leave him. The, if I was in his position right now, the last thing I'd want to be doing is talking to people. So. 
Vincent Saladino says, even with the draft lottery rules changing, I still predict the Wings will find a way to fall three places because apparently that's what the hockey gods want. Jokes aside, I wish this draft lottery system was in place last year so the worst we could uh, pick would have been third. I love Raymond and all, but Stutzla would have been great. Yeah, I mean, if only the league came close to changing the rules. Michael Thompson says, Gents, it's been much too long. I decided to enroll in an accelerated one-year BSN RN program. Uh, it's been the death of me. Thanks for being the brief moments of brevity. But now please excuse me while I cry in the corner. Yeah, that program accelerated sounds like hell. So good for you. And I hope you're doing okay. Uh, the YouTube algorithm has been recommending the old Mercedes F1 wheel guns explanation video since Monaco, which is hysterical. Poor Bottas. With the first round somewhat concluding, LOL Leafs, what rounds are you most looking forward to in the second? Also, what portion of your Patreon box do we need to start teething? Tithing? Teething? I never know how to pronounce that. To Rowan to deter death of this podcast. <sighs> Rowan took the joke. 69%, obviously. Uh, Colorado. Colorado Vegas. Yeah, Colorado Vegas is just going to be two buzzsaws going at each other. Whoever comes out is a cup favorite. Carolina, Tampa is going to be fun. Uh, Boston Islanders probably won't. And North Division to be determined. Tampa already took the first one over Carolina. You know, I I actually have a lot more hope for the Islanders than other people did. And then I saw the score of the first game. I'm like, maybe that was misplaced. I don't know. I just, I can't deal with a Boston Tampa getting to the final four again. I can't. Please, just some, one of them lose, preferably Boston. Josh Terrell says this question is for Evan. Prediction on where Paul Maurice will be coaching next season. Oh, man. Probably Seattle now that I've mushed that completely. I think, like, you don't have a, like, uh, it's not crazy. I'm going Winnipeg, with, I'll it's, stick with Seattle. They win the Stanley Cup. He does the old Barry Trotz, and he goes to Seattle. He's won the cup in the frozen north. Huh. Uh, Dave W says, morning dubbers. Monday is my 47th birthday. So my gift for myself uh, is I bump my account to name level so you can pay Rowan his ransom so you don't have to get blacklisted. I love everyone chipping in to make sure we don't get canceled. Also, Dave, thank you so much for your support and happy 47th uh, upcoming. Uh, know that you will always be younger no matter what the numbers say than Brad, who is an old, 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 old man at heart. Uh, also can't wait for Toronto to Montreal to get bounced. I'm hoping for Toronto. I'll be absolutely shit face watching it. Lastly, go any team not named Toronto, Montreal, or Boston. Keep up the great work, fellas. Thank you, Dave, so much. Aaron Hudson says, Hey boys, I've had a, uh, I've got a fun week lined up for our first group therapy session, watching the Rangers somehow win the lottery second, uh, second, I have a scan to determine how bad my ACL tear is third, my second COVID shot. If the wings pick first, do you take power or go for veneers? That was a roller coaster. Right now, I'm going power. I don't know, and I'm, and it's not just those two. I've cut two or three other guys very much in the mix with power and veneers. The only reason I think for Red Wings fans, powers and veneers get the edge is because they're the positions of need. Which, if this is the draft, you're going to differentiate by position of need. Fair, no arguments here, but. I can't say for sure that I like either of those two more than Eklund or Johnson or Genther or <laughs> it's, it's tough. Jesper Wallstead. Uh, Sam W Don't. says, I like Jonathan Bernier as much as the next Wings fan, but how much should we take his interview responses with a grain of salt in regards to his wanting to return to Detroit, given he also said that... <laughs> 
<laughs> given that he also said that Nelson Mandela Mandela was a great hockey player and a true inspiration. Is he just telling us what we want to hear? I always forget that Bernier did that. What, what, what do you expect? Why do, what, why do we ever read anything? This? What do we expect Bernier to go and say, this team sucked. I'm not going through that garbage again. There's no hope of them signing me. Peace, losers. No, he's making a joke. Do you, do you not know about this? Yes, I know that, but I'm getting back to the interview part of saying, what, do we expect them to say they hate the team? Of course, they're going to say they want to stay. So, of course, we should take it with a grain of salt. Do I believe that he would like to be back? Yes. Do I believe that is the only option he's considering? No. Brad, it was just a setup for the joke. And the real takeaway here is that hockey players are all meatheads, us included. Don't expect them to know anything about anything. (laughs) No. Good God, no. Lars, the prophet of the towering behemoth, says, oh, how I love the smell of burnt maple in the morning. Is there a sweeter smell in the multiverse? For a second, I felt a pang of sympathy for Mr. Dangle, but then I opened Twitter and it all went away. Have you seen the comments on Marner's Instagram? That is not a fan base I can say I'd be happy for. Why is it people turn to assholes just because they can be? Oh, man, because the world's shit. Uh, As for game seven, what's your percentage for Habs or Leafs wins? Right now, it feels like a 50-50. On paper, on- it's like 60-40 for Leafs. In reality, I think it's 50-50. On paper, it's like 80-20 Leafs. In reality, it's probably like 60-40 Habs. Like, the Leafs just find ways to not win these types of games. Darren Helmstand Club says it's been a while, uh, but those digs at the elite one have not gone unheard. Uh, my silent response should not be a sign of acceptance. That being said, Darren Helm, 4 by 4 contract this summer. My silence was a brutal side effect of finishing law school and becoming licensed these past few months. Hey, congrats. That's awesome news. Um, that had to have been a grind, so I'm ho- hopefully you get some relaxation now. Uh, as I fell back asswards into employment, I decided to celebrate my own fun way. I will double my contribution to the Winged Wheel podcast if Brad says... Uh, Darren Helm is elite, and I hope he takes over for Blash as the next head coach. All plays praise the elite Darren Helm. I was absolutely not going to say that, but I am absolutely here for Darren Helm taking over for Jeff Blashill. I do think that is a step in the right direction. So I don't remember the exact phrase, so I'll just sum it up by saying I agree. Uh, Ryan says, oh, this one. You're stabbing me in the heart with this one. Go Bucks. Michigan sucks. Urban Meyer is my personal hero. You sellout. I wouldn't have taken the money for that. <laughs> Asshole. You're dead to e- me. Evan, f- screw you, Brad. Uh, Evan, well, I hope you get some good time back on the course this summer. Why does, Ev- why does everyone love Evan so much? Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> Although I a sellout like I've, you, Ryan. I've completely lost my golf game, so uh, we'll see about that. Uh, serious note, it was nice having you guys in my ears for study breaks. No, honestly, that is uh, phenomenal news. Congrats on uh, graduating, getting licensed, and employed. That's that's fantastic. Jake Nagy says, uh, I've seen a lot of intense opinions on Seth Jones, and it seems he has dropped off analytically, but his size and skill set and NHL experience seem like a potentially great pairing for Cider. Um, doesn't he play the right side? Yeah, they they could play on the same team, but highly unlikely they play on the same pair. Getting dusted by five-year-olds on skates says no question, but saw my cousin today who came back from Jackson Hole recently made me think of Evan. Again, this whole myth of Jackson Hole being a real place is a weird bit that you guys do. It's like birds. It doesn't exist. Yeah, like Winnipeg in their airport. They definitely don't have one. Uh, 
Matt S says, I'm just going to say uh, when Pierre Maguire and NBC Sports aren't broadcasting games, who's going to tell me what high school each player went to? So happy they're gone next year. Uh, everything must be close to coming back to normal because the Leafs just blew a 3-1 series lead. So much joy. Keep up the good work, Dub Dub Crew. Stay Fresh Cheese Bag says, hey there, fellas. Cheers to another day of being vaxxed, waxed, and ready to um, pump jacks. He, he said, insert ad lib here, Ryan, and I panicked. Uh, hashtag Munchbox Crew. Elliot Freeman talked recently about Crosby, Malkin, and Latang, wanting to continue pushing for another run with the Pens. But after three straight first-round exits, Hextall and Burke have to reassess the long-term harm that causes. In this draft, they only have their second, fifth, and three-sevenths. If they continue to sell their futures in the following two drafts, then they're in for a longer rebuild than if they stop now. Thoughts? It's tough because they were legitimately good this year, and they got undone by horrific goaltending. Um, I think with this core, like their rebuild's going to be an absolute dumpster fire, and... It's going to take a long ass time for them to dig out of the hole. So, the one thing I wouldn't do with that, if I were them, would be, you know, give in early. If you, if you come back with Crosby, Malkin, and Latang again, you got another kick at the can. Solve the goalie issues in free agency. You don't necessarily have to trade. I don't think they need to overhaul the roster. So, I don't think they need to give up assets. They just got to get a goddamn goalie. And if this year, upcoming year goes off the rails then yeah it's time to blow it up yeah it's almost like it's the price you pay right for that team crosby and malkin and Latang are legends there and they got you three cups first back-to-back cup winner since the wings did it in the late 90s you almost have to give them every opportunity they want to and if not you need to trade them yesterday like you have to have already made that decision I think this summer is the time where they make that decision. And I think you're right, Brad. I think you extend as long as you can because no matter which way you cut it, this pain, this rebuild is going to be very painful, very painful for the pens. Once it all does come down, you extend and you extend and you extend. Hey, maybe you miss the playoffs barely one year and you win the draft lottery and all of a sudden the transition's a lot softer. Rangers. Yeah, right? Like you push this as long as you can. Or you find someone willing to grossly, grossly overpay for the last years of Malkin or Latang, or I can't ever see justifying trading Crosby. I, I think that's that's tr- that's treading into heresy at that point. Uh, comment finishes by saying, "I don't care if Pierre Maguire is actually pronouncing Miko Ranton's name correctly. It's the tongue roll on the R that makes me want to punch a baby." Aussie for Hall of Fame. Stay fresh, cheese bags. Uh, a few Reddit questions here. Captain Canada seven says, uh, now that Max is a UFA, is Ryan one for one good enough to get it done? Or do we need to sweeten the deal with Brad? As long as we leave Evan as an untouchable, everyone else is on the table. Evan and Mika really carry this pod. Uh, all seriousness. Glad you guys aren't going anywhere. Looking forward to being your guys full-time gig one day. Side note is Brad's gear geek stuff on YouTube. No, but we might release it like after the fact, like a while later to keep it Patreon exclusive for a while, but that's a good idea. Maybe we should uh, bring it out on YouTube after it's had some time to sit Patreon exclusive. Yeah. um, And fair warning guys, I do intend on doing another one. Um, I'm probably going to wait uh, a little bit on this one. It depends. I'll maybe I'll open it up and I'll do an extra one just because, all the main releases for this year, the Hyperlight, the FT4 stuff is all coming in the next month. So I, I assume 
you guys will want me to wait till after that. If not, I, I can bang out another one pretty soon, but uh, I'll probably throw a feeler out there at some point to gauge the timing on the next couple. Yeah, we're getting into busy season, so a lot of like the the extra stuff's going to be surrounding the draft, the expansion draft, the lottery, etc. Uh, I take my bacon crispy, says back with a question for Evan. Evan, you are standing over the sacrificial altar and you have the chance to ensure 20 years of wings dominance. The cost is five strokes tacked onto your handicap. Are you ready to make the sacrifice for all of wings nation? Listen, I'm already doing that right now anyway (laughs) with my recent rounds of golf. So yes, I will do it. That just means I need to grind a little bit harder to get down to be a scratch player. And then I'll just be back to where I am right now. So yes, I will do it for everyone else. So when I yelled earlier, why does everyone love Evan so much? This is why. Because he's not an annoying prick like me and Brad, and he does good for the Wings fan base. Um, And I want to recognize the comment from MCJ7006, who says, why does the vast majority of our fan base seem like they're against drafting uh, Wallstedt? Uh, especially since they'll be picking eighth and he and red winger 90 or they and red winger 97 seem to agree about it might uh, be actually a good idea. So I uh, just want to shout that out. Um, thank you guys so much for tuning into this episode again, Wednesday will be our um, draft lottery uh live stream on youtube so if you aren't already subscribe on youtube tune in for the live stream it's good fun uh giveaways reactions blah 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 we can all be disappointed together might as well have some fun with it and then um we will be recording the episode right after it'll be a late night for us but hopefully a fun one for you guys so yeah tune into that and until wednesday we'd like to thank our name level patreon supporters arjun shanker eves bartels on behalf of the sarah grand foundation Brett Bailey, Terry Driver of Cry and Ryan, Hannah, Hannah's Banana Slamma Jamathong, Taylor Tadgel, Brandon M, Citizen High Five, Craig Kibble, Greech, Hana Lee, Hassam Al Qasem, Jacob Turner, Jake Kiefer, Jeremiah Dobo, Joe Santangelo, Kaylin Wood, Cody Stark, Kyle Hashman, Kyle McClure, Matt McKay, Matthew M. Rice, uh, R.A. Ryan Hubbard, Ryan Say, <laughs> Come Rocket, Scott Martin, Zach Spring, e, um, Andrew Bohan, Sam Bankson, Adam, I wish I could finish like Ernie, another former junior goalie turned golfer. Antonio Gracias, cautiously pessimistic, fine, Crisco, not betting on it. Connor Layton and Dave W, Evans bingo card. Thank you again, Dave W, and happy birthday. Jeremy Brocker, John Evans, Joseph Minima, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Matt Keeler, as good as it gets, Stan Olson, stay fresh cheese bags. Sticks out for Harambe. Rest in power, my fuzzy friend. By the way, that last bit was by me, Ryan Hanna. I just love Harambe. (laughs) Trevor Pepevar, thank you guys so much. See you Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.